Welcome to the Jeff Knows Inc. Show with your host, Jeff Lopes, where we bring you the world's top athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, influencers, and their journeys to success. Welcome to episode 223 of the Jeff Nozine Podcast. This week's guest is a complete legend. If you're an MMA fan, a martial art fan, you are going to know the name Ensign Inoue and... What a great conversation. Tons and tons of incredible stories. You guys are really going to enjoy this. Like all weeks, we always pick one individual that took time out of the busy schedule to leave a review. And this week is Ren68. And Ren wrote, as a chef, I really, truly enjoyed the episode with Chef Rush. Great content. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Ren. Like all weeks, guys, like I say all the time, we are nothing without you guys. Please leave your review. Leave your feedback. We greatly appreciate it. So sit back, everyone. Enjoy this episode. Like I said, if you're an MMA fan, you're truly, truly going to enjoy this episode. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Nutritology. Nutritology is a company that I actually was personally using for quite a while before they came on board sponsoring us. So completely committed to this brand. What makes it so awesome is they are a Canadian brand and you guys are more than aware that I stand behind my Canadian brands. Majority of Nutritology's products are made in Canada. So you know they're committed to their quality and all their products are registered with Health Canada and they all own their own NPN, natural product number, ensuring the highest safety safety and quality. Another amazing feature is they have tailored solutions. Whether you're an athlete striving for peak performance or professional just looking for mental clarity or individuals just dedicated to a healthier lifestyle, I've personally worked with my nutritionist to help tailor my supplements to live a cancer-free life and Nutritology supplements are a big part of that. What I love even more is their huge variety of organic products like turmeric, lion's mane, and morninga leaf. So if you guys are ready to take your health to the next level, make sure to check out a proudly Canadian brand, Nutritology. You can find them on Amazon or directly on their website as www.nutritology.com. That's www.nutratology.com. We are live. We are live on the Jeff Nozine Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lopes. Super excited to have on today, Ensign Inouye. What is up, sir? How are you? Good, man. Everything's good. How are you doing? I'm I'm excited to have you on. We were connected uh, through a friend, uh, Marlon, and uh, God, when I looked into you and your history with MMA and and as 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 an entrepreneur, I've been an entrepreneur for 27 years, and one of our companies we run is Kimura War, and uh, we uh, manufacture and design boxing martial art equipment. So there's a connection there as well. So there's this is gonna be a great conversation. I'm a huge MMA fan as well, and. Uh, your history and just your life experience. I mean, there's, there's probably so many lessons we could learn from this as well. So let's just, just, just bring it back. Like, where did this all start? Like, where did you grow up? Brothers, sisters, like, give me a little history of, of Ensign growing up. Well, I started up, uh, I grew up in born and raised in Honolulu, Hawaii. I have one brother and uh, we were actually raised up uh, to participate in a lot of sports. So when I grew up and I was in high school, I played basketball, baseball, volleyball, and ran track. And on the side, we uh, actually played racquetball. So fighting actually for me wasn't a part of something that I wanted to make a profession. It was more just uh, me trying to defend, learn to defend myself on the streets. And that's when I started looking into martial arts. You know, I, I've never really thought of fighting in the ring. Never thought um, I'd be like a you know professional fighter, or this would be actually my my calling to make me who I am and make me make my life what it is. So it was one of those things that I actually was a lucky person where <clears throat> everything in my life just uh, happened without, you know, without really being planned. It's just the movement of my life just took me in this direction and I live a great life now. What, what, what was the age when you first joined and what was your first martial art you actually started studying under? <laughs> That's funny because my first martial arts probably when I was five, five years old. Well, that young. And my mom then put me into karate. Yeah. I think it was the third or fourth class. I think I got tripped. Like they're, you know, they're they walk around testing your stance. Yeah, I got tripped, and I remember running out, feeling like the the teacher was picking on me. I remember running out of the gym and never going back. So that was my first experience of martial arts. I really didn't like it. I, I don't know. I it, it was funny because I never ever remember my dad pressuring me to go back. <clears throat> 
And you would think, yeah, the proper thing for a kid is to make them go back, you know, don't be a quitter, you know? Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things that you wonder, you, you got to show your kid and teach your kid not to be a quitter. But I'm like the farthest thing from ever quitting in anything I do now. And somehow within that, my dad letting me quit. And I guess, you know, going on with other sports and don't know if he psychologically helped me through most of the stuff, but I, I end up, I, I think I'm one of the few, few fighters <clears throat> that's fought a full career without ever giving up or tapping. So when, when was your back? When did you get back into martial art? What age? And what was the, what, uh, what, actually what was I, the, I, after that discipline wise, I chose myself to get back into martial arts when I was in, uh, I think it was my, in high school. <clears throat> I, I was, um, you know, in Hawaii, there's a lot of street fights in Hawaii. So a lot of times, uh, back in our day, there was no guns. There was knives and, and fights. Yeah, same, so same, as, pretty same, much, as, same, yeah. same as my era as well. We're probably, yeah. I'm yeah, yeah. You know, back, we're we're back talking about that the other day. Days. Yeah, we're talking, I, was ta- I was talking to my kids about that the other day, actually. Because my son, we're just, we're just talking about high school. My, my, both my kids were in high school. Uh, my son's 15, my daughter's 17. And I was like, nowadays and, and i have a, a lot of close friends. my best man um, at my wedding my best friend is uh is a police officer sergeant and a couple of my really close friends are police officers and, and they always say with my even my kids are like like walk away from a fight and when we grew up it was just you get into a scrap a couple of punches here or there eventually somebody would break it up and you talk it over and you move on kind of thing that was it it was like fist to fist nowadays kids are pulling knives and guns for just looking the wrong way yeah, so back in that day, it was pretty much you learned to fight. Yeah, you learned to fight in case you get in a confrontation in the street. You learn to fight to survive. Nowadays, it's like you learn to walk away from fights to survive. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, that's the reason why I started martial arts, defend myself on the streets. And what was the first, what was the actual martial art you started with? Uh, the first one we actually started with was uh, I think it was Wing Chun. Okay, you know everyone loves Bruce Lee. Yeah, Jet Kundo, You know Wing Chun, Jet Kundo. Yeah. Yeah, so that was the first one I got into. And then, of course, you, you see all the flashy kicks of Taekwondo. So I started getting into Taekwondo also. I was I was probably the least flexible guy in the class. So, you know, Taekwondo really didn't suit me well. But, yeah, it went, I mean, I went all over trying to find the perfect martial arts. I did Aikido for a year. I did Muay Thai. You know, I did another art called Hapkido. Aikido, yeah. Yeah, so we I went moving around, and um, lo and behold, my first year in college, I wa- when I was in the University of Hawaii, I was walking across the campus, and there was a Brazilian guy, Brazilian guy with a desk set up with a TV playing with a video, and it was uh, this practitioner of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu beating up all the other arts. And I when I stood there and watched that uh, video on the TV, I was like, wow, I think i got to try that. And that's what, my first year in college what, when I got introduced to Gracie Jiu Jitsu. What what year was that before UFC the first couple of UFCs or after the first couple of UFCs? What's that? Was that before the UFC started or after the UFC or after it was before already, the UFC. So it was right before the UFC. Interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean it was before after, I think it was a, probably a couple of years before the first UFC. Yeah, because obviously Gracie Gracie Jiu Jitsu was introduced to the world after the UFC, right? The first couple of UFCs. So, so yeah, you're into it. So, was there? So, there was a school in Hawaii at that time, a Gracie school. No, there wasn't. It was actually a, a non-credit course in the University of Hawaii. Oh, seriously? So, what Helsing Gracie did was uh, he had a um, he rented out a studio in the in the athletic department in the University of Hawaii. It was Studio Four, and every Tuesday and Thursday he had a class there. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's when it started. No one knew what Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was. I didn't even know. I never heard of it. How was your <clears throat> How was your experience the first couple of times? Because it's it's an eye opener um, when you first do it, especially if you don't understand it, the the complexity of it and and the art of it, right? This episode is proudly sponsored by Kamoraware. Kamoraware is a Canadian martial art and boxing equipment brand established in 2006, supplying over 1,500 gyms with premium equipment right across North America. If you're looking for boxing martial art equipment, Kamoraware's got your back. Check them out at www.kamoraware.com. That's K-I-M-U-R-A-W-E-A-R.com. 
yeah, when I first started, um, I remember seeing on the video all the street fights and them subduing all the different martial arts. So I got excited, signed up for the class. And when I went to the class, it was all about self-defense stuff. If he grabs you here, swing your arm over, lock his arm here. If he grabs you in the headlock, do this, do that. And it was like nothing like the realistic fighting that I saw in the video. So I watched, I stuck up the class, stayed in the class. And at the end of the class, I approached Helson. And I told him that I want to, I want to wrestle. I want to do something that I saw in the video. And there was a little Brazilian guy. He was named, uh, his name was uh, Jacare Romero. And he was a black belt. And he was probably about 50 pounds lighter than me. And he said, hey, uh, you want to just roll around with him? And I said, yeah, sure. And I looked at him and said, so small. I said, I mean, I know, I'm pretty sure you guys know some martial art, but there's no way uh, you're too small. And there was like, just, just roll around with him. Roll around with him. And I mean, you know, I knew nothing about positioning. Yeah. He took my back, choked me out. And, you know, like, like everyone else, like, okay, he got lucky. No, let's try again. And again, he took my back, choked me out. And right there, when the second time he choked me out, I was like, oh, my God, I got to learn this. And I went balls in to Gracie Jitsu. I, I found out that Helson had classes in his garage. And I joined those classes and actually was actually training five days a week after that. Was hooked on Gracie Jitsu. Learning. And, and I had to, I religiously wanted to learn it to defend myself. And I knew that was hard to learn for a street fight. How and so you're? I'm I'm, I'm assuming early twenties at this point. Yeah, no, I'm probably uh, I think uh, nineteen years old. So you just started or twenty? College. No, I'm I'm twenty twenty one, I think, because I actually went to college one year. I took off of college and went to play racquetball in the states. Like as a professional? and when I came back, when I re yeah, professional. When I retired from professional racquetball. That's when I went back to college and I found Grace Jiu Jitsu. So it must have been when I was about 21, 20 or 21 years old. Let's let's talk about that quickly. Racquetball. I I I also read it. Is it um your brother was also professional? Well, he was actually the man. He was uh he became number one in the world. So oh, it's more like he was a racquetball player and I was also professional. <laughs> 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 I love it. I love it. And you did that for you said you uh, you you're you were professional for you said only one year, two years? No, well uh what happened with racquetball is um when we were little, my parents used to play racquetball for exercise. Yeah. And they uh brought us into one of the sports clubs that they were working out at it was called Oahu Athletic Club. And there were Sundays was family day, so they could get the family in for free. So she convinced me and Egan. I always I was surfing almost every day. And she convinced me and Egan that come try out the racquetball. We went in there and my mom kicked our ass. And I was like, this is bullshit. This isn't for me. And I just stopped and went to play racquetball. I mean, went to surf. Yeah. And Egan continued. Egan had this obsession about beating my mom. <laughs> and eventually, Egan started beating my mom, started beating my dad, and became state champion. And when I saw Egan doing so well, I said, oh, shit maybe i should try this and that's when i got into it so i i played amateurs egan turned professional and i i actually went and turned professional and played on the pro tour for two years i moved to texas uh in uh, texas in the states and i i lived there i i chose texas because it was central and whenever they wherever they had a pro tour I mean, we went to, we also went to vancouver to play but wherever wherever there was a plan for uh wherever there was a pro tour event, uh Texas was pretty central. And so I, I moved there to travel. And after two years of playing on the pro tour, I realized that um I was losing uh, my parents were supporting me the whole way. And they were just losing money, paying for my trips. I was gonna ask that. Is, is there is there and I mean you could probably comment more on your brother's level, but um, is there money in, in racquetball or was there money at that point? Well, the highest I, the highest I got was number 28, 28 in the world. And, and if you're number 28, you're not making any money. You're losing money every trip. My brother was in the top four. And when you're in the top four, you're making money. So I, I got lucky because his sponsor paid for his rooms. His sponsor got his car and I was, I got a free room cause I stayed with him. I just rode with him in his car. 
a lot of his shoe sponsors and clothing sponsors, we were in the same size, so I could actually get that. I could use that. So I was pretty much, uh, you know, getting, you know, free stuff from him. And if I ever got sponsored, it was probably because I'm Egan's little brother. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So, you know, when when, when it com- comes down to that and, you know, you wonder how long you should be doing this when you're not breaking into the top 24 and you're losing money and your parents are having to support you. And I thought that, you know, I got to be realistic. And I gave it two, two years a chance. I didn't do it. And I decided to retire and go back to um, school. And lo and behold, you know, it was probably one of the best decisions of my life because I found grace in jiu-jitsu. When you, when you think of tennis, this obviously has a, a bigger global viewing audience. But I mean, top 25 in tennis, you're still making really good money. So it's a different different world. Has yes. it, you know, over, over the years, has racquetball changed? Is it is there there's there more money involved now, or is this pretty much the same? This is not a sport you see on TV. Yeah, it's not a sport you see on TV or anything like that. Not here in Canada. Anymore. Well, the fact that you don't see it in the, the fact that you don't see it on the Olympics, you don't see it on ESPN. Yeah. And for me, I'm I'm making a guess, but I I don't think it's actually gotten much very much more prosperous. I think you know it's what, still a real grassroots sport that's trying to make it. You know what sport is really taking off and is in popularity and there's there's courts opening everywhere. And I know in Europe it's gone crazy. It's pick a pickleball. Pickleball. It's gone in pickleball, yeah. Right now. It. It's literally it's taking over. <laughs> and and they're 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 really pushing for an Olympic to do an Olympic sport. So I mean that could that's it, it's it's everywhere you look there's pickleball courts. I was just the other day I was with my son we we're driving and I was like they converted these two tennis courts near our house into pickleball courts. I'm like the hell and there's all these people playing with coaches and I'm like yeah it's 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 taking off it's it's interesting and it's a young and a young generation are playing it too which is really really interesting. So let's let's talk about there's there's so much I want to talk to you about but let's talk about your MMA career. Like, when was your first fight, amateur, and how did it develop into pro? And and then we'll talk about Pride, which is which is you have some epic battles in Pride and and show and Shuto and all that. But how, what was your first introduction to actual competition, like like first fight, amateur, pro, and all that stuff? I've never I've never had an amateur fight. Oh, you went right into pro, huh? Yes, because uh, after seeing Hicks and Gracie fight in the Volley Tudo nineteen ninety five, yeah. I thought I wanted to give it a shot. And the reason why I decided to fight wasn't because I thought I could fight. It was because I wanted to test myself under extreme emotional situation. Because a lot of people, you know, in life, you can do things very good. But when there's pressure, when there's people watching, when there's, if you're in a stadium, all of a sudden you can't get the consistency that you had in practice. And it was the same thing for racquetball. I could hit a shot a hundred times perfectly but when you get in the court when there's people watching when there's nerves when every shot counts all of a sudden your percentage go to 70 60 percent i also saw a show when i was a little boy watching a show with a family driving down the road the husband lost control of the car went off the edge turned over car caught on fire and because he was panicking he couldn't open the car door and i always felt that one day in my life when it comes down to a situation where i'm going to have time have a hard time controlling my emotions and if it's something i have to do to save my family i want to be able to be level-headed enough to actually be be somebody that can help the situation and i use sports to um practice that and in racquetball it got pretty good where i never could be as good as i was in the practice court but i got pretty close to it but consistency was pretty good when you compare it in practice and in the court and i thought i had good control of my emotions and you know, as you know, I trained Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in, in Hawaii. I got to be good friends with Hoist Gracie and Hickson Gracie. So when I was in Japan and Hoy, uh, Hickson came to fight in Japan, I went and watched to cheer him. And what surprised me was when he won the fight, he won against this guy, David Dubecki, which is a huge guy. And we were kind of afraid that this guy is so big. We hope Hickson can handle. And when Hickson choked him out, I remember... I was so out of control. I stood up on the seat screaming and it caught it, it. It actually surprised me. And I was saying, Oh my God, I can't even control my emotions watching a friend fight in the ring. I, I just had this, this crazy desire to test myself in the ring and see how I could deal with my emotions. If I was the one in the ring. And, you know, I felt that 
if I had that experience in the ring to control my emotions, I felt that it would it would help me be better prepared when I need to control my emotions in a life and death situation, possibly to save someone that I care about. And I never thought that I could ever control it completely, but I thought I could be a better, you know, I could control it better in a life and death situation if I had one time to try, you know, test it in the ring. And that's when I, I got on this little mission of getting into the ring once. That's all I wanted to do is get into the ring once. I called around all the different Japan associations. I called rings. I called pancreas. All of them wanted me to send in a, a resume and wait for the new boy test. And I called UWF. They wanted me. I had to be like a certain age, a certain height, a certain size. And I was like, why does it matter if I can fight? But I, I realized they ended up UWF was a pro wrestling ring. And then I called, then I called, well, as I was waiting for rings and shoot, uh, rings and uh, pancreas to have a new boy test, I called Shuto. And Shuto looked at me, and when I called Shuto, I told him that I did Gracie Jiu Jitsu. And I like to maybe spar with your champion or possibly be an asset to, to your gym and maybe fight an amateur fight. They just straight up told me, oh, come check us out. Come down to the gym. Drove down to the gym. Sayama, the founder of Shuto, was there. There was a little guy in the ring, in the gym, and he told me, "Why don't you um do some grappling with him? I want to see your grappling." And I grappled with the guy. He was a lot smaller than me, but he didn't know positioning. He didn't know Gracie Jiu Jitsu, so I mounted him. I took all the positions on him, and when that was done, uh, I remember Simon sitting down, looking at that guy, and saying, "Oh, we can use this guy." And that's where Simon looked at me and said, "Can you make your pro debut in in a month, in a three months?" And I, my first reaction to that was, no, no, I, I'm not a pro. I'm not fighting. I want an amateur fight. I just want one amateur fight just to test myself in the ring. Later on, I found out that guy was Nakai Yuki, one of the top jiu-jitsu guys in Japan now. Yeah. And, and Sayama, you know, I moved into the gym. I lived in one of the private rooms next door and trained every day for three months to prepare for my pro debut. And that's I, that's why I didn't go to amateurs. I went straight to the pros. I didn't want to. I actually thought I wanted to go start in the amateurs and work my way up. But I guess I almost saw something that he knew that I could probably do good in the pros. And with the rule set that they had, I guess he knew my ground, my forte was my ground. So he wanted to, um, he actually changed the rules of shooting. Because in, in Shuto, there was no uh, ground punching on the ground. I mean, I mean, head punching in the mount position. They they had only body punching, and when I went in, they decided to they they changed the rules to freestyle rules. They called it shooto freestyle rules. That's where you yeah. could. It was like body two, the where you could. Yeah. You know, like the like kind of like the pride rules now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, one it was weird because one fight just led to another, and after the first fight, I got a you know usually you get a little black and white. Name in there like Ensinoi defeats Shigeta Shingo. You know, it's a small little writing, but because it was a there's a big hype on Grace Jiu Jitsu, I had like a full color page, and it, it I remember it saying, "Oh, there's a Japanese person that knows Grace Jiu Jitsu. He's a monster," and it was a full color page. You know, so yeah. right there, Sama got excited and said, "Can you please fight one more?" And it, and that that actually continued for four fights, and he said, "Please, Ensign, fight one more." And on the fourth fight, I fought this guy named Andre Menard, which is one of the famous uh, kickboxers. He used to fight in uh he used to fight in uh K1. Yeah. And when I beat him, that's when things started changing in my head, saying, Hey, wait a minute. Maybe I, I am good at this and maybe I can make a career of this. So up until my fourth fight, it was just one more, one more, one more. I always wanted to get back to Hawaii, where the beaches and the ocean is. Quick question. So let's go back to that, to your first fight. How did you react? Because that was your goal, mindset, re reaction, your breathing, all that stuff. How did, how did you react How after the first fight or during the first fight? Were you calm? Or how, how was oh, it? I didn't. Well, I, I got, uh, because the guy knew no Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, I actually got mom position right away. Well, I said to them, now I got right mom position. And, you know, in, in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, it's like you got the mount, you, you pummel the guy and he'll finish the fight. And I remember getting on the mount and and pounding him and he doesn't give up. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, holy shit, he was supposed to be quitting. And or because my emotions were so high, 
Yeah. I remember actually getting tired mount punching the guy and thinking, holy shit, I'm getting tired. I mean, if you see the video of the fight, you can't tell I'm getting tired, but I was getting tired thinking, holy shit, I'm not going to be able to finish this guy. And as soon as I thought that, I remember him turning to his side. And back in the day, there was no rules about punching in the back of the head or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, different world. I remember hitting him. I was hitting him in the back of the head and he started kind of, I don't know, what is so kind of yelping like, arr, arr. he started like crying. And then I remember the ref pulled me off and I was like, oh shit, thank God I was getting tired. So that was pretty surprising for me that I got so excited on the mount. I just was overexerting on every punch. So. So that was a lesson emotionally and, and just to be able to control your emotions. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. 100%. So when what what age were you when you moved into Pride? Um, oof, When was that? Um, my first fight in Pride was, I think it was uh, ni- 1999, I think it was. So 30, 32. So you're already, you're reading, I mean, for a, for a pro athlete and an MMA fighter, I mean, nowadays standards, you're you're already starting to get up there. You're at the end of your peak, right? So you fought from 32, well, you I mean, fought to what? My pro debut was at 27. Oh, so you're, yeah. So you probably never took much wear and tear then. You're that, yeah. No, not at all. At I, all. I, actually, I actually caught up with the wear and tear in all my hard trainings that I did. We had that old school training, you know, work through pain. Don't don't go to hospital. Don't be a pussy, you know. <laughs> tape, tape up and get to training tomorrow, you know. <sighs> So, what was your experience with Pride? I want to talk about Pride. I want there's a things, a couple things I wanted to bring up with Pride. But what's your experience with Pride? Like how? I mean, at that point, Pride was. I mean, it was the biggest thing, right? Over yeah, Pride was was massive, um, massive. Pride was bigger than the UFC. Was bigger than anything. And uh, the promoters, you know, Mister Sahakibala, Mister Morista, they treated the fighters like kings, man. I mean, at least for me, I was treated. They 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 waited on me. I got I got what I wanted. They took care of us. I mean, we're taken care of like royalty. I was to say you guys are rock stars back then. Oh, rock stars! Yeah, total rock stars. Yeah, yeah. That's just crazy. It was a different world altogether. I mean, and mm-hmm. what was I mean? You you hear a lot of um. I haven't wrote this down here, but um, Yakuza, like their control over Pride and all that. What, what was their relationship with Pride, and and was was that the demise of Pride? Their relationship with Pride. Yeah, um, Pride. I mean, like any any big uh, company in Japan, they're all associated with the yakuza. So it's like, if, if, like when you're talking about a business, if if a business tries to open up in Japan, do they somehow control all this? Like you have to go through them. Like is it that is was it that controlled at that time, or is it was it only bigger well, companies? Like how did they control it? Well, if you're opening up a business in the in the in the territory of a yakuza family, it's almost procedure that you, you know, you make um, either you know like you say you know make your greetings to them, and a lot of times you have to pay a little, you know, uh, you know you can call it protection money or you can call yeah. it money for thank you for letting me work business in your town. And it's also something that you might want to actually have because if they're if you have any trouble with any type of gangster or yakuza group, they will come out and solve it for you. Well, so, what, yeah, was, pra- what was your relationship with them? Did you have any relationship with them? Is it more just friendships? Like, how did that all work? When I first started uh, fighting, no, I had no relationship with the yakuza except I did get into a big uh, controversy with one of them. I actually ended up. I actually had a fight with one of them. Yeah, so they they kind of rough. They kind of try to strong arm people on the street. If you get into a little problem with them, they'll show either their finger missing or they show their tattoos. And most Japanese people will back down. And for me, I didn't understand that part of the society. And all I knew was whether you're a lawyer or a doctor or a gangster or a yakuza, right is right and wrong is wrong. And if you're wrong, I'm not backing down. Yeah. So I had a big situation with one of them that I actually physically got involved with him. How did that? How did that and come up? Like, what did they do to you to piss you off? I'm lucky because I knew somebody that was really high up, and when he found out that I was having problems with that yakuza group, he came out and just in one phone call squashed it all. Oh, good. Yeah. So I that's so that's pretty much my furthest associated with any type of yakuza that in, in back in that day. But as you know, you know, yakuza's 
and any type of gangster they love fighting and my style of fighting where i you know i i feel i could beat the devil himself if it's if he's standing across the ring and i would never ever i'd rather die in the ring than give up or quit and you know that type of attitude and that type of quote-unquote samurai style is really attractive to the gangsters and the yakuza so once i started fighting you know i got a lot of uh lot of them befriended me and you know they're they're, they're you know there's all you know like like any like any profession in the fights business in the in the medical business in the educational business there's assholes yep. there's people that act stupid there's nice guys they're understanding guys people who walk with loyalty and honor and it's the same thing in the yakuza you got punks you got guys who try to throw their authority guys that bully people but you also have a lot of yakuza people who live by the code of honor the code of the yamato damashi way and you know that i for me as a fighter when they would come to me i was able to choose who i wanted to be with and who i wanted to rack with because the ones who acted tough and the ones that you know tried to throw around their clout every time they called to go out i was busy yeah so i could control that so after I started fighting that's when i started getting a lot of relationships with a lot of them did any of these relationships put you in a situation that was uncomfortable or in a situation where you had to do something you, you really didn't want to do or you were able to control all that? No, I actually, um, I controlled my, my relationship with them. Good. You know, like, like, for instance, you know, when you first start a relationship with them, it's easy, you have to control it. So, for instance, I'm not under them. I'm not one of their youngers. So I do not go and call i do not jump at every call that they give you know ensign we want to see you even if i you know if i had something to do i cancel and i go to them i wouldn't do that you know half the time saying sorry i'm tired i'm staying home tonight you know yeah so i made sure i created that type of uh relationship where you know in the beginning when they really want to be friends with you that's when you got to establish that yeah so if i'm like going and jumping at every beckon and every call that they have that's what I'm establishing. And that's when you run into problems when they start expecting you to do things and be there for them. So yeah, I was able to control that. The only problem I did have by having a, a lot of relationships with them is back in the day, you know, Shuto didn't want that reputation, although they did have a backing of Yakuza too. Yeah. They try to hide it and they try to, you know, they try to hide it, period. And then when the rep my reputation got out that I was a fighter that had a lot of connections. They had like this huge meeting with all the commissioners in it. And they they kind of almost like try to scare me into cutting all ties with the Yakuza. Interesting. Interesting. So when you when when you hear the stories of of Pride's does this my like Pride pretty much shutting down because of their relationship and, and the public being aware of that, is that true or is that what was the stories with Pride and and, and well I, I'm not I don't know exactly what happened, but I know there was a problem with um pride in the yakuza group and it became public and I, I i think i understand it had something to do with fedor and milenko yeah yeah so um i don't know exactly actually what the problem was but when that went public that's when all all the sponsors that were sponsoring pride had to turn away yeah it's a real it's a real funny society japan because it's understood, you know, people know, I mean, everyone in this, in this town know, have met Yakuza's. Yeah. They know that Yakuza's back most of the companies, especially big, you know, fight associations or big companies. But for some reason, when it goes public, they want, they got to, everyone's got to turn their back. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird like that. Like you got, if they're, it's like Coca-Cola, say, for example, Coca-Cola, they have, they definitely have Yakuza connections. But it's not if it ever goes public, all of a sudden Coco is gonna lose all their sponsorships because of that. It's it's weird. And that's what happened to Pride. So that's where Pride just lost the TV contracts and all the contracts that actually helped them survive. Let's let's talk about your fights. Give me give me one or two of your epic battles that um that stick in your mind as is some of these greatest moments in your in your fighting career. Was it Randy? Well, the Kutur, first one I have three, actually. 
Yeah, you just named two of them. <laughs> I, I, I had I had Frank on my on my on my on my show. He he had a crazy story growing up as well. But let's let's talk. Okay, let's talk yeah, about Frank, those two. And then Frank's had me, a crazy story. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about those. Let's talk about those two, and then let's talk about the other one. Let's talk about all three. Okay, so I think Frank was the first one that I had. Yeah, and Frank Shamrock's fight was was, was a real heated fight because he was like the king of pancreas. Yeah. And I was a Shuto champ. And at the time, back in that day, Shuto and Pancras were like this. They they hated each other. And they they re, they forbid us from training with each other. Yeah. So when that happened, it was like, okay, now we're gonna show who's better, you know, Shuto or Pancras, you know. Yeah, yeah. So that was a big thing on on that, where me and Frank would before we fought, there was a big hype on that. The other thing that was big hype on that is me and Frank that both had the same contract from the UFC that whoever won the fight was going to have a title, the middleweight title fight in the UFC against Kevin Jackson, which was one of the top wrestlers. Yeah. 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 Yep. So we had the same exact same contract going into that fight. So that was a big hype for that fight. And, you know, for me, Frank was a little bit smaller than me. I really thought that, you know, the prankers rule set didn't allow him to get as good as our rule set would be where there's ground punching, you know, pancreas, they actually allow open hand, yeah slaps and, and which can be really painful yeah. it almost can be like a punch when you palm someone straight into the face but you know out of the etiquette i think they didn't really go that hard on those kind of things so you know i just felt that being able to you know close a fist and be able to punch in the ground um gave me a lot of uh advantages so when, when i had a lot of confidence going to that fight and Man, did I learn later that freaking Frank is a warrior and he also is like a freaking cardio machine. The guy just keeps going, man. <laughs> yeah. What what about uh, Randy Couture? Randy Couture, yeah. I this actually was a very uh, big win for you. I mean, big name. Yeah, I wasn't planning to fight Randy when I when before I fought Randy, I got offered actually dance dance Severin. Yeah, another big name. And I was like, wow, that'd be a good name, big name, tough guy. And I, you know, I I felt he was really slow, but he was strong and durable. But I, I thought that would be a good test for myself. Yeah, that guy's like a bear, man. Yeah, so actually I accepted that fight that we're supposed to fight. And the Shuto group came back and said that he had other pro wrestling obligation. And, you know, Dan Severin was fighting like every weekend almost. Yeah. I mean, so, I gotta, that guy fought every weekend until he was in his late 40s or early 50s. Like, like he just went on and on and on and on. So that on. fight fell through. And then they that's right at the right timing where Randy Couture was having problems with the UFC. Yeah. And that's where he kind of left. He left the UFC. And that's when that name came up. They said, how about Randy Couture? And it, at first it blew me away. Like, holy shit, Randy Couture. Yeah. And I knew he. I was over my head. But I also knew that, you know, he was human. And if I caught him in an arm bar, I'd break his arm. If I caught him in a choke, I'd put him to sleep. So for me, you know, like like I said, you know, my my whole mission in the fighting wasn't to become a champion. It wasn't to win fights. It was to test myself. And I thought Randy Couture would be a great test. And I thought, you know, Randy Couture is just one person that I a lot of people didn't think I would even get close to even having any chance with him. And I, I accepted that. But I also accepted that if I do the right things, you know, I felt a like fight, the, a fight the, is a fight. Anything yeah. The true happen. odds for that fight was Randy Couture had 99 roads to walk, to win, to victory. I had one, but you know what? I didn't have zero. I had one. And if you walk my road, the other 99 don't matter. Right. So when I, when I felt that I got to train hard. I got to, I got to find a way to walk this one road that I have. And, you know, as you know, I I was able to pull it off. What was the last one that sticks in your mind? Um, Igor Bobachanchi. Was that the Was that the one that was? It was like a forty second, thirty second fight, but it went balls to the wall. No, that, that was Genovia. Um, Igor Bobachanchi. One, one of my staff pool. was showing me that video. <laughs> you just haymakers left and right. Yeah, well, <laughs> that one, that one again. Um, when I saw Igor knock out Francisco Bueno in the fight yeah. before that. Yeah. And Francis Bueno is a big boy. You know, he's a tough yeah. guy. And when Igor hit him and he just pretty much like the last rising where um Philip Kimura knocked out uh, Daryl and just Daryl was frozen standing up. Yeah. yeah it was yeah. pretty much just like that where Francisco Bueno's eyes rolled back on the first punch and it was stiff 
And on the way down, Igor hit him a couple more times. And I remember sitting in the front row of the, the arena, and I remember next to me, his uh, girlfriend or wife at the time was sitting next to me, and she started screaming bloody murder. Like she thought he died because he wasn't moving. Yeah. And something about that moment when I saw that, that, that terror that, and Igor was there like doing jumping kicks, spinning kicks and jabbing in there. And I mean, just looking at that, like the, that ferocity and that coldness that Igor had, I don't know, for some reason, I, I felt that I had to feel, I had to be on the other end of that and feel that fear and feel that anxiety and see what I would do with it. So right there after that fight, I remember calling a uh, pride, Mr. Saka Kibata and pride. And saying that if he can, I want to fight Igor Bobachanchin. And that's when that fight was scheduled. And the reason why I think that one turns out the best for me is because I I I won the biggest victory in my life. Is I won the 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 fact that I wasn't going to lose to my anxiety and fears. My mission in that was to face Igor at his at his most dangerous place. And I wasn't about to run away and go for a tackle. If I my objective was to win the fight, I would tackle and take him down and be on top of him with my with my groundwork but my mission wasn't to that my mission was to face his most dangerous place and see what my heart would do in that fear zone and i felt that i won that battle because when we when we started throwing down he threw me to the ground and he jumped in my guard when he's a striker and right there for me it was like a, a huge victory yeah it's 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 it's, it's just listen to your stories and the way your mindset going into these fights is um it's a true martial artist right if everything's a i think that, that back in that day it was about martial arts yeah everything everything is a test everything is just 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 your anxiety your, your 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 mindset of just being able to test yourself i mean i just had on um uh our podcast is celebrities influencers i have just all kinds of different people like um and uh uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had on uh, the UFC um, knockout leader, Matt Brown on. And uh, he's just, his mindset is every time he goes into the cages, he's, it's, it's, he's there to die in that cage every single time. Yeah, he's, he's one of those old school fighters still actually fighting today. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he probably will end up with, I mean, he's, he's tied for the 13 knockouts. But I mean, he'll probably end up, I mean, the way he's going and the way he trains, I mean, he'll probably still end up with the lead and and probably being the all-time which is pretty <clears throat> pretty amazing but his mindset is 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 the same thing is testing himself every time going in there like he doesn't he doesn't look at it as a victory or a loss he looks at it as a battle of who was better man that day and and it's just everything you're talking about it just reminds me of our conversation we're having which is pretty that's amazing. awesome that's a big compliment <laughs> where there's one individual um that obviously was very close to you and is no longer with us. Um, Kid uh, Yamamoto. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about him because I mean, I mean, the newer generation won't know who he is unless they go look at videos. But I mean, when I started watching UFC and all that, like his name was in, in prior to UFC, like his name was massive. He's amazing. He was, he was just like he was like the rock star of MMA at one point, right? Let's let's talk mm -hmm. a little bit about him and his legacy and what he left behind and. And um, and his relationship with you, because I think it's it's something that uh, people need to hear. Well, for as for, as a martial artist, he was uh, he was one of those fighters that comes out one in a million. Man, he he teaches something one day, he uses it the next day in sparring. He was so athletic, and on the, on the mats, he picked up stuff so fast, even in the striking. And his power, he had so much power and speed and agility. And that kid was like pretty much born for martial arts. I felt. Yeah. When did you first meet him? I met him because I started dating his sister. Oh, so you didn't meet him in the gym. You met him after that. No, I met him. I met him because I dated his sister. And then his sisters would come down and train with me. And I, I ended up marrying the sister, not yeah. the sister I dated first, but the other sister I met after I got to know the family. It's a real funny story. And you know, it was, I knew about him. I knew that was his, their brother. Yeah. And I, you know, he was a top wrestler. Yeah. But we used to go and, you know, with, with my girlfriend at the time, you know, we'd watch her brother, you know, go into a wrestling event. So we'd go and cheer for him. I got to meet him just really lightly. And what happened, or big movement happened was when he was in his uh, college, he got into trouble with the Yakuza. Oh, interesting. 
he shot a yakuza. He was she was just fooling around with his friends with an air pistol, and I guess I don't know if I was on the ricochet, or maybe he did aim at him. I don't know. But what happened was is uh, it hit the yakuza in the face. The guy chased him down, followed him to his school, went to his dorm. Uh, they chased him out of his apartment, and he had to call me. And he had, he actually jumped on the second second floor of his apartment. And as he was running away, he called me for help. And I just told him to get to a restaurant where there's a lot of people. Made some calls and called those guys off. But because of that incident, his college kicked him out of the school. The wrestling association in Japan put him on probation for a year where he couldn't wrestle for a year. And that's when I suggested to him that when your sisters come down to my gym to train, why don't you come down with them and just roll around with the boys? and he did that and he he fell in love with martial arts and he said i want to do this for a living and uh, that's what happened and when when he when re he was off probation in wrestling and he was allowed to wrestle again the father asked me to put him back in wrestling but you know i told you know i asked kid and i said what do you want to do he said he wants to fight so i told the father i'm not going to force him to wrestle he wants to fight and the father totally disowned him disowned him and he had no money, so I had to support kid. I gave him a car. I, I paid his rent. I, there was one time when I was walking by his apartment that I got for him. I lived next door, and he was sitting in the dark with candles. And I was saying, oh, since when did he get into this spiritual type of stuff? I popped my head in. I said, what are you doing? He goes, oh, his electricity went out. He couldn't pay his electric bill. So I went and paid his electric bill, took care of him, and trained with him. For two years, he moved me every day training. He even came to me with Thailand. Took him all over the train. And, you know, I don't know if you know it, but we actually ended up having a falling out towards the end of his career no. or in the middle of his career. No. It's because uh, after I got him into K1, he won K1. I, you know, I got him into, into all the, the big fighting. When he became a star, guess who comes back into the picture? His father. His father disowned him because he wouldn't wrestle, but. You know, he he they wanted me to make him quit fighting, but when he got very famous and the father saw money, the father wanted to come back and start taking over. And that's the problem I had is I you know contracts I made with K1 was an agreement that me and K1 had with him. You know, me, K1, and Kid, we had an agreement. And the father wanted to um um you know break the contract. And because he was a star at the time, when we made the contract, he wasn't a star. It was we made us we made a contract for Four fights a year at fifty thousand a year. He was fighting in Shuto before he before that he was fighting Shuto for like two grand a fight. Yeah, and I got him contract of fifty thousand dollars a fight for four, so two hundred thousand a year, which is good money back then. Very good money back then, and you know, I actually even was able to talk to the head head K one guy Tanigawa and change the rules for kid. You know, you've never have you ever ever seen in any other K one fight where they're fighting one. One round kickboxing and second round they put on MMA gloves and fight MMA. I made those rules for kid. And that's when he started winning. And that's when he became a big star. And when he became a big star, all of a sudden the man who disowned him comes out into his life. And unfortunately, kid didn't have the the you know the I don't know the the heart enough to tell his dad to hey, step back, man. I'm not gonna backstab Ensign. And he decided to go with his father, and that's when I stepped away. No, I never heard that story. Yeah, so it was. Did, you guys, I, did I, you guys connect before his passing or anything, or no? Well, what happened with that is, yes, I um, would see him at arenas, and it, it we were cordial. I said hi and everything, but I was never a part of anything anymore. And even when he passed away, I didn't know he passed. Away. I didn't know he had cancer. Yeah, that's sad. I mean, it's sad because yeah, essentially, so, you, 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 you. Gave him that opportunity, you gave him that career. I, I didn't even know the whole story like that, which is pretty crazy that you're the, his introduction and and his livelihood in a way for years, getting him into that. That's pretty. Do you do you still yeah, so, are you, do you still have a relationship? Or like, are you are you guys still married or no? You with his no no. So I divorced his I divorced his sister, and even the divorce didn't affect our friendship. Okay, even after the divorce, he was really close to me, yeah. but it was that the money thing that the father started coming out for the money. And I didn't take any, any money from kid at all. Money, money. And the, the father wanted to take money. Is the, money is the root to all evil. Oh yeah. Money can destroy things. Yeah. So 
you know, it, it ended up where I pulled away from Ken and it came to a point where I don't know what happened, you know, what type of talks happened. But as far as I'm concerned, every time we saw I saw him in the arena, we said hi. But for some reason, they kept it a secret for me that he was dying of cancer. And, you know, if I never got to say my goodbyes to him, I would have resented the whole family for the rest of my life or, or even not just the whole family. I would have resented the people that knew that hid it from me. And some of my close friends knew that he was dying and didn't because they didn't want me to know. They decided to keep it a secret and show their loyalty to them instead. And I was lucky that, you know, the, the universe took care of me. And it was just this, this weird situation that happened where I knew someone that knew where he was and I got to get a letter to him. I had that person write a letter for me and the person wrote the letter and I told, you know, the letter pretty much said that, hey, um, I know what's happening. You've always been a little brother to me. And I just want to tell you that, you know, I really care about you and I wish you the best. And the, the person who gave him the letter told me that when he read it, he cried. And in a way, although I couldn't see him face to face, that was my closure. I was going to say, I could say my form. goodbyes to him. Yeah, they give you some form in, of closure. Yeah. And, you know, even when he passed, I didn't, I heard, I found out like everyone else in the news when he passed. Yeah, he was way too young, too. Way, way, way too young. Yeah, it was one of those things that, the, you know, when the, the, God takes the the great ones up earlier. Yeah, Elvis Presley died young. Bruce yeah. Lee died young. You know, way yeah. too young, kid. Yeah, way too young, way too young. And 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 a guy like that, if he was fighting in the UFC at this time with with social media, he would have been massive name, massive name. Yeah, he peak, oh, it was just his his look, his star. He had star power, right? Which is very it's like the conor mcgregor almost i mean he could have been yeah he massive, was exciting he was star. powerful he he had this great personality so it was a, he was a good kid he had a great lovable personality yeah yeah so get, give me your days now like like you're back you're so you you live in japan do you always so you never went back to hawaii at all you always stayed in japan from there on Yes, I've been in Japan for thirty-three years now. Thirty-three years now. So give, but, give me. A, yeah, give I'm me lucky. A... I'm lucky because I have a, I have a bracelet business in Hawaii, that I run a Power Stone bracelet business. So I go back to Hawaii about four times a year. So I'm lucky. I get to see Hawaii a lot. See my parents. But yeah, like you said, um, my days here. Now, um, I was asked by one uh, Konishiki, a sumo wrestler, to. Help train an ex sumo wrestler that actually left sumo, which is now my student, Sudario Tsuyoshi. Yeah. So he got, um, he's a fighter in rising now, but that's part of my day too now. So I would, I'll get up and I'll do my daily routine. I'll feed my dogs. I, I raise kois and breed kois now too. So I, yeah. I'll take care of my koi ponds, water the garden. I got a big yard here. So I water the garden. Then on a, on a typical day, one of my students will come over. I would train him, feed him after he leaves. Then I do my thing, you know, I'd either go, you know, go to the store to buy supplies for the, the bracelets or go train someone else. You know, like today I had two trainings, went to train someone else, hold mitts for someone and pretty much, pretty much just do what I enjoy. Watch TV, watch movies. Um, I I'm into uh, trying to get back into shape now. So I do a lot of workout on my own. I, I do a cold punch twice a day good working on my breathing yeah so I'm, I'm in a good point in my life where i'm really happy and i'm really uh, grateful uh, for how, what how, i have how old are you now i'm 56 yeah yeah no you're you're you everything you're saying right now you're you do sound like you're in a good place and it's and freedom the, freedom, the best freedom. thing about it yeah this will sound real horny but the best thing about it is i found the best girl for me i mean for me she's the best woman in the world you know but that's one of those things like, oh, yeah, you know, she's not better than my wife, you know. So for me, I say is to me, I found the best person for me. And she gives me the peace. She gives me the support. You know, she's a 20 years younger than me. So she's in a different part of her life where I can support her. And I've seen I've been through what she's going through and I can be a big support for her. And she supports me a lot in, you know, my after fighting life. So it's a it's a 
we're we're weird dynamic. We're in two different generations, but we click very well. Yeah, love love has no age, right? And you have to understand too is is that mindset of um, you're at peace right now. So everything you're doing right now is is I always say freedom is being able to do what you love every single day and waking up with a smile and being able to enjoy your day, right? And that's that is financial freedom. I mean, the, the, people look at w- what's the value of money. I mean, the value of money is be able to. The only thing we that's the true currency in this world is time, right? And being able to do what you want when you want and be able to, like you said, train people when you want, do your cold plunges, wake you up. Talk about your your, your bracelet business. I, I'm into that. I, I love those things too. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So I got I got a bracelet business. Um, I started wearing them in Japan because it's known, they believe that it protects you. Okay. And I got into, I get into, I totaled two Mercedes Benz. You did what? You totaled? I total pretty much there's i mean don't take it we're not going to take the car to the shop to fix it's pretty much gone and the only injuries i had in both accidents was a fat lip from the airbags that hit me yeah and a broken bracelet so i you know like they say in japan it protect it takes anything that was supposed to come to you and so instead of me breaking the bracelet broke and i just religiously always kept one on because of that and I, I ended up, you know, getting some for, for people close to me whenever we had parties. And when I, the person that I used to buy from, because I used to buy so much braces from him, he said, Hey, I'll teach you how to make them. And, you know, I just, I, he taught me. I, I was, it, what first bracelet took me three hours to make. I was horrible. It looked ugly. But as I made thousands and thousands, I got better to a point where I felt confident putting it on social media. People wanted to buy. And, you know, 12, 14 years later, I got it's a huge been, business on the, I, it's been yeah, 14, 14 years. years. Yeah. I, I got, a, got a website, destinyforever.com that sells the braces. And I got to actually opened up a, a shop, a business in Hawaii. Very, so very travel back cool. and forth to open the shop up. Yeah. Very, so very I, I love cool. that. Enjoy that. You know, I go to Hawaii and I stay for like two weeks at a time. Yeah. And I'll make over 300 braces in the two weeks. It's continuous orders coming in. And I, I love it. I what, it, what's it, what's the website again? I'll put that all on our show notes. Destinyforever.com. Very, 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 very cool. And you make them all in Hawaii or you make some in Japan as well? I make them in Japan and the mail orders on the website are all made here in Japan and send out. Do you still there. physically hand make them all yourself? I physically hand me and my wife can make them. So there's a lot of people that learn her to make it in the Hawaii shop. Yeah. But we both can make it and a majority of them, I think maybe 70% of them, I'm the one who's making them. And if, unless someone suggests for her to make them or someone just doesn't care, she'll make some of them to help me out on the orders. Yeah. But if not, I, basically, if an order comes in, it's usually going to be me making them. My, I personally make them. That's awesome. That is awesome. 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 Did you always have an entrepreneurial side? Like I've, I've been an entrepreneur for 27 years. Like, have you always had that little itch in you? Well, not really. I mean, even when I had pure, I opened up purebred gyms, it wasn't something that I planned to do. It was something that just jumped into my lap. Yeah. Even this business, it was I didn't plan to make a prices business. It just happened. So, which you know, is a lot. I'm, which is a lot of your life. What's that? Which is a lot of your life. It just happened. Yeah, you know, you know, my whole life, even like you know, coming to Japan, I came here for a one-week racquetball tournament. After the rack returns, they decide to stay in Japan to learn the language. So when I go back to Hawaii, I'll, I'll be able to speak Japanese and get a good job. Stay here another two years. And the second year, my brother asked me, hey, why don't you take over the E-Force company that he has and do the Japan side? Decided to do that. Two years later, the company got sturdy. Before I left, decided to test myself in the ring, get in the ring once. And the rate that my fight took off. As I'm fighting at this Suto gym, the gym has problems. The owner of the gym asked me to take over. So I created purebred jiu-jitsu. You know, my whole life was like that. I mean, everything that happened, although it happened so awesomely, it wasn't something I planned. It was I was this kid that I want to live in Japan. I want to be a professional fighter one day. I want to own a gym. I want to have a brain bag. It was just something that pretty much happened because of the movement of my life. I'm a I'm a super lucky guy. Do you still have the gyms? You still run them? Yes. I have a gym. Uh, I have a gym here in Japan. I have a gym in Guam, gym in Saipan. Uh, there's a gym affiliate gym in Thai. So you there's you, uh, you, do you do you have 
partners in this business or you still run them yourself? Like how does this run? No, I have all the people running them for me. So I, I we just opened up one in Malaysia, Fairbird Coaching. Good, good for you, buddy. Yeah. And good what I do you. is before COVID happened, I would travel to every gym and watch the classes, teach the classes sometimes. And and I actually have an affiliate gym in uh, Kingston, Ontario. Okay. We're going to talk about that. I was going to bring that up to you. So you're one of my staff. Like I said, my, my company's called Kimura, where I'll, I'll, I'll show you after, but um, we design, manufacture martial art and boxing. We've been doing that for almost 18 years, 17 and a half years. That company. Wow. And, uh, and in Canada, we're, we're, we're top dog in Canada. And one of my staff um, went to a seminar that you ran in Kingston. And, and one of my staff here was talking about that the other day. So it, it, that did happen. And this is probably about seven, eight years ago, maybe, maybe a little longer. Well, right? It was actually a yearly thing before COVID happened. I think I went up for like five years in a row. You did, huh? Yes. And actually, I guess that the owner of the gym, of Grizzly Gym, Mark Martell. Mark Martell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Actually contacted me. Like, yeah, but they, they're one of, we, we supply for them. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So world. he actually contacted me and said he wants me to come out this year again. I would love to come meet you. If I know you're going to come out, I'll come out and meet you there. Yeah. So we're actually in the, um, in the, I got a really busy year. So we're trying to see if we can do it sometime this year, but if not next year, for sure. So we're so trying how to did, find how, did, how did you, how did that all come about for Canada? Like they reached out to you. Like, how did that, I mean, uh, yeah, Mark, Mark, Mike, Mike Martell reached out to me and he actually came to Japan once and, you know, I got to meet him in Japan. We kept in touch and he just one day asked me to come and do a seminar and he became like, uh, I, I promoted him. Yeah. yeah. I promoted him and he became affiliate of the uh, purebred. Yeah. So that's pretty awesome. That crazy gym. Yeah. 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 Small, small world, man. So you've been in Canada quite a few times then. Have you been to Toronto? Yeah. You know what? The do, you last, fly, actually, you fly the the time, do you fly in the Toronto the or you fly time, in the Montreal? I fly into Toronto. I drive to Kingston. Which is a good drive. Yeah, it is because I stop over at Niagara Falls, maybe spend the night there, get yeah. going to the casinos, you know, get to play <laughs> casinos a little bit. And, you know, so when I, um, you know, so, yeah, so Mike actually actually brought me up. And the last time actually I came to um, Kingston, I think the week after I left, marijuana became legal in the whole country. Yeah. So that whenever it got legal, I was there like the week before that. Yeah, yeah. So that was about probably about four four years ago. It was right before COVID. Yes, right before COVID started. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. So I mean, we're I'm sure we're gonna keep in contact. And when you do come back, I mean, because we're we're like my my office, warehouse, showroom, and all that stuff is uh, like 15 minutes from the airport in Toronto. So when you when you land, we're just right here. So I'm sure we could connect and uh, I could show you around in a little bit as well. For sure. I'll, I'll definitely be coming out there again. I'm actually looking forward to, you know, seeing Mike and seeing the the people, at the, the students at Grizzly Gym again. It's been a while. It's been four four years, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give or take. Yeah, that was just before then. So where can your audience follow you, get a hold of you, um, uh, anything? By, like we talked about Buy Your Bases. I'll put that all on the website and I'll put all that stuff because we have, like I said, we have a massive Canadian audience this show. So, um, oh, and, and just give me your social media. Give me all your information. I'm active on all my social media. I'm active. I'm personally do all the messaging, all the posting for Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. And now I just started doing TikTok. You started TikTok? Okay, good, good, good. Yeah. Good. So if you go, if you Google, look good on your Google Instant Inouye, and you'll, that's me. It's me. If you message me, it'll be me, be me answering the messages and all the posts is what me doing personally. So if you, and I mean, I check everything. I'm, I'm, I'm probably one of those guys that's on there phone too long but if you send a message if you want to reach out send a message to instagram facebook whatever twitter and i'm the one who's actually looking at them answering the messages personally are you looking at building more affiliations as well oh yeah i'm not actually looking for it but if there's it happens, a, people it that come out and ask me to do it yes i'm 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 open to do it but I also would need to know what kind of person the person is and yeah, what, what style they have. You know, I had a guy in the States ask me, he wanted to open a pure bridge, but I've never trained with him. Don't even know how he fights. Yeah. So yeah. I don't, don't want to do that where there's no personal touch on it. So is there any young 
athletes is the last question that you're actually have two more questions, but the young athletes that that you're working with now that um, you see have a bright future. Yeah. Um, Sudanius Suyoshi is one of my students that's fighting and rising now. Is that the sumo one? Yeah. The sumo guy. Yes. So he's, he's a big, is he a big years, boy? Is he a heavyweight? Like what is, when you talk about sumo? He's huge. He's like uh, 260. So he's just right under the weight limit. Moves no. like a light. Moves yeah. like a lightweight, man. Yeah, he's fast, agile. Yes, very, 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 very. Cool. How many fight? How many fights has he had in in a rise? I think he's had. Um, I think eight or nine fights now. Do you want to eventually get, he, him, get him to the UFC? Oh, that's definitely what we the ultimate goal. But um, honestly, he's not ready for the UFC. Yeah, maybe in a couple of years he might. How, be, how old? He, how old is he now? He's twenty five. Yeah, he's still a young boy. Yeah, very, 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 very much so. Wait, yeah. Last question for you, and 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 I think you're you're a person to prize yourself with your legacy, the way you conduct yourself. If something were to happen to you right now, how how would you want to be remembered by your loved ones and your friends? Um, I would like to be remembered as someone who really cared about people more than myself, and someone who lived and fought with integrity, honor compassion and with the utmost loyalty i believe loyalty is not gray it's either you're either 100 loyal or not loyal at all and right now in this world in this world you it's hard time you have a hard time finding people with true loyalty yeah. you might think you have true loyalty with someone for 10 years and one incident will show you that his loyalty isn't true and i've i've lost a lot of people that i thought was brothers in the last years but I've gained a lot of guys that confirmed to me that they have true loyalty. You know, true loyalty. If you have someone out there that has true loyalty, I mean, hold on to them and be willing to die for them because there's a rare thing nowadays to find someone that has true loyalty. Yeah, I agree with that. Agree. That's all I want to be remembered. Someone that had true loyalty and who lived with integrity and honor. I love that. I love that. This has been an amazing conversation, brother. And I'm sure we'll have you on again. And that, like I said, I'm, I'm sure when you come to Canada... Uh, next time we Anytime. will uh, connect brother I appreciate this thank you for sure for sure man